right, so let's jump into the teaching. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Now, I know some of you are going to hold up. Kyle, we finished Acts a little while ago, and we spent two years there. Uh, we're, we'll be in Acts chapter 2 and also Ephesians 2 this morning. Um, if you're new, typically what we do here at the Park Church is we preach through books of the Bible. And uh, we just finished uh, our study in Malachi uh, last week. And so we're going to spend uh, about a month uh, in, a, in a new series actually on the church, uh, on the local church. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 2 uh, this morning. And, and if, again, this is really a, a great series if you're new to the Parks Church or, um, you know, just, just kind of wondering about our, our vision, our DNA. And, and for many of us who have been here, the church is only 10 years old. But for, for some of us, we just need a reset, right, and a refresh in our minds and in our hearts of what it is exactly God is trying to accomplish in and through uh, this local uh, community. And so um, when I say the word beautiful, what comes to mind? Beautiful. Like what, what, what instantly comes to mind? Uh, maybe it's some landscape. I was talking to somebody who was just at a national park. Maybe it's something that you've seen visually. Maybe it's the, the oceans or mountains. Um, maybe it's a, a person. Maybe it's a trait or a characteristic. Maybe it's art or music. Um, what about the church? The church. And some of you I can even see, some of you are nodding. Others of you are shaking your head, which is okay. It's okay to be honest in church. You see, the church is, um, I would argue, biblically, the most beautiful place in the world. You see, it's beautiful because of, of what God has said about her. It's beautiful because of what God would demonstrate his love toward her, right? In, in giving his son for her. Christ died not just for us individually, but for us corporately, known as the church. You see, the church is beautiful in all of those things. But there is a sense in which the church can grow in beauty. There is a sense to which the church can grow in becoming more beautiful. And so over the next four weeks, what we want to do is biblically cast a vision for a growing in beauty church. What a church that is more beautiful could look like. We want to look at the scriptures to what God says about beauty. But before we do that, I want to first talk about what the church is not. And I think this is just way of reminder, but needs to be said that the church obviously is not a building, right? It's not a structure or anything like that, right? If, if, if the church is a structure and the parks reinforces this, then we just greeted you with a 14-foot martini glass, right, with, with neon out there, right, for the last three weeks. And we're sponsored by Choctaw, by the way, right? If the church is a building, okay, because that's what happens outside of our, our front doors here. But we know that the church is what? The church is a people. The church specifically is a group or a community of people redeemed by Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit. That's what the church is. So this building just houses the church, right? It brings us together as the gathering of saints to lift our voice and be encouraged by the word and to be encouraged by one another. The church has never been and will never be brick and mortar. See, what makes it beautiful is what? Not the structure, even though there are beautiful church structures and those are fine and dandy. But what makes the church most beautiful is the community, is the people that Christ died for. And so that community, the church, if you will, has been given a purpose. And the purpose is not dictated by, by uh, the, the, the local church leaders or pastors even. The vision of the church, the purpose of the church as we know it, is given to us 
by God himself, right? The head. In Ephesians 3, just put these on the screen behind me. Ephesians 3 tells us about the beauty and the power of the church. It says this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Did you get that? Like, I love Ephesians 3.10. It says, through the church, through the community of the redeemed, the wisdom of God, so God's power, God's glory will be made known to absolutely everyone here on earth and even in the heavenly places. Like that's a big responsibility. In the church, the church's chief goal, just like your individual as a disciple, chief goal is not to build something great, is not to accumulate a lot of things. It's not to find security or, or comfort. Your goal, my goal, this church's goal, Ephesians 3, chapter 3, verse 21. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So make no mistake about it. Where we go over the next four weeks, all of it is so that God might be seen for who he is. It's so that God might be glorified in us as a community of the redeemed. That's the purpose of all this. So we're going to talk about very specific things over the next four weeks. But the point of all of it is this, so that God's wisdom, literally who he is, might be on display in us as a faith family. And so that's why this this series is so critical for us to refresh and to remind our hearts because we're a forgetful people. We even make church about us, right? We even make all these things. I'm going to talk about that. Like we, we we make these gatherings about us, about a style or about a preference, right? It's about Jesus. It's about God being glorified in a community of people, bottom line. But why were some of you, and and it happened in the 9 a.m. service as well. Why were some of you shaking your heads when you said, when I said beauty in the church? It's because you've been wounded. It's because you've been hurt in communities like this. There's been pain. There's been confusion. To that, I, I do honestly say, I'm sorry. But I also want to put before you that the institution The organization, the community of faith is not what's perfect. There'll be flaws. There'll be flaws in my sermon. There'll be flaws this week with interactions with other believers, probably even from the Parks Church. But what is perfect is the head of the church. What is perfect is the one who leads this institution, and his name is Jesus. And so that's who we constantly set before us as the aim and the goal. So that when we mess up, So that when we miss the mark, guess what? We can come before him and before one another in confession and repentance. And guess what we're met with there? Grace and mercy. His love that we just sang about washes over us. And so that's what I want to see in this place as we go through this series. Um, Timothy Keller, a great author and and former pastor uh, in New York City, wrote this about the church. He says, many people who are spiritually searching, searching, excuse me, have had bad experiences with churches so that they want nothing further to do with them. They're interested in a relationship with God, but not if they have to be a part of an organization. Some of you find yourselves there. There is no way, no way you will be able to grow spiritually apart from a deep involvement in a community of other believers. You can't live the Christian life without a band of Christian friends, without a family of believers, also known as the church, in which you find a place. 
only if you are part of a community of believers seeking to resemble, serve, and love Jesus will you ever get to know him and grow into his likeness. And one of my fears, especially in our area in North Texas, is that we have become really um, good or we've become connoisseurs of church culture and we've actually missed Jesus himself. And so what we want to look at even over this series is how do we get Christ? How do we see him and set him before us so that we become like him? Not just better church attenders, not just better church members, but we want to become more like Christ. We want to, as Tim Keller says, we want to resemble, serve, and love Jesus. That's what we want from this, this faith family, from us as a faith family. And I feel like there is a growing weariness, both inside our church and even outside of the church, a weariness from maybe performance-based gatherings, Maybe this, 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 this striving that ultimately leads to not much change or fruit in your life. And there's this frustration or this, this weariness. And one of the things, um, they did a study recently where they were just asking people to describe their experience at church or kind of how they surveyed a church in general. And these were three words that were brought up repeatedly in this study. That the church had become mired in restlessness, impatience, and selfishness. And some of you, you're even nodding and affirming that, going, I've experienced that. Restlessness, impatience, selfishness. That's, the, that's anything but beauty, right? That's anything but beautiful. And even as I looked at those words, you know what that described to me? You know, you know what came to my mind first when I, I read those words? Other than like myself sometimes? Were my kids. Right? Okay, check them. They're not in here. Okay, so I didn't run it by them yet. As they get older, I'll run it by them when I use them as, as an example. It's my kids, particularly my littlest one, right? My littlest one, okay? He's about this big. He's two, and he is all those things. Restless, impatient, right? And selfish, okay? He's all those things, right? I mean, I'll, we'll put him down for bed at night. Right? I'll heat his bottle up, right, to a perfect, like, 83 degrees because he's a diva like that, all right? And I'll heat it up. We'll give it to him right? And you would expect, right? I would expect something that well-tailored, right? Just, just curated for him that when I pull the bottle out of his mouth, he would go, thank you, father. Right? (laughs) That's right. Like what he should do. Right? I mean, but let me tell you what my son does with any beverage that is in his hand. Okay. And some of you, this is going to remind you of college, right? Here's what he does. All right. I got it. And I know it's about, he, he kind of maneuvers around and he grabs the bottle of the cup or whatever's in his mouth. And when he's done, he throws it as far as he can. So I have to run and go get it. Okay. He just throws it and he's a lefty or else I'd get on to him. Okay. So I'm wanting him to work that out a little bit. So I'm proud of him in that regard, but he chucks his bottle. All right. He throws it as far as he can. Why? Cause he's a little selfish little mug. All right. Why does he do that? But listen, some of you are laughing. Some of you are like, Oh no, how's he going to tie this back to the church? That's oftentimes how we approach the church. We're restless. We're impatient. We're like, okay, where's the next thing? Where's the next one? What what do you got for me? As if the church is just a dispenser of programs, right? Hey, tell, tell me what to do next. Rather than going, oh, hey, what has Jesus said to you? Go do it. What's he leaning in on your heart? You're going, hey, here's what I'm kind of looking for in a church. Here's the checklist. And it's got to meet my preference. It's got to be this style or that style. And Jesus is going, listen, here's what I want you to do. That's my body. The church is my church. I want you to come in and commit to her, flaws and all, 
So today, where I'm going in this talk, in, in a church that's growing in beauty, it has to be a people who are committed. That's what we see in the pages of Scripture. A people who are committed, not impatient, not, not restless, not selfish, but people who are committed first to the Lord and second to one another. That's what a church growing in beauty is, is a, a church full of people who are committed to one another. Because what we see actually in God's plan for us is a slow, faithful, intentional journey. One that's full of peaks and valleys, but one that is done in supernatural community. And so the first place, I want to I pull out two beautiful scenes really quickly here. The first one's probably not going to catch you off guard. Acts 2, 42 through 47. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. And so this is after Pentecost. This is the beginning of the church. The Holy Spirit has just fallen. And it says, and they, the community, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day day, those who were being saved. Like that's the kind of community I want to be a part of. Anybody else? Like when I think of beauty, when I think of like, like the church operating as it should, that is the passage that comes to mind. And rightfully so. I think the Holy Spirit inspired it, placed it here as the aim and the gaze for us to look upon and go, that is a beautiful body operating in obedience to Jesus together. There was, there was a committed group of people there, right? And not just committed to a philosophy of ministry, but committed to Jesus in his heart. And so what flowed from that commitment were just a couple of things I'm going to go quickly over, was that there was a shared desire and hunger among them. Would that be true of our community, that there is a shared desire and hunger? A hunger for what? Well, here in Acts 2, you see a hunger for the word of God, right? They devoted themselves, a community project, to what? The teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to prayer. Like, are you, are you hungry for the word of God? Like, do you, do you come into this place? Please don't nod your head or shake your head. Like, do you come into this place like just like going, okay, Lord, like we collectively as a church want to hear from you. I want my heart to hear from you, to hear from your word. Do you hunger and desire deeper fellowship with the Lord in prayer? But it wasn't just those things, because I think those things are, are, are true there. And I think most of you would, would nod about wanting those things. But how about relationships? And I think this is where, if I had to guess, for many of you, the rub or the conflict within a community of faith has happened. Probably hasn't been with the word, hasn't been with a, ch a church that prayed a little too much or something like that, you know, which is impossible. But it's been in relationships. And that's where it gets messy. That's where it gets sticky. That's where the tension happens. That's where the division happens. But what we have here in this word, it says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That's a strong word in the Bible, koinonia. And it means to literally be a partner or teammate. That when we see a church that's growing in beauty, we see an understanding that this is a partnership, right? 
that this is not just something that you consume. Like this is not a product that you just consume. This is something we shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm link, and we partner together to display the glory of God to the watching world. That's what we do together. And so that's what they were devoted to here in Acts 2. And so they were devoted to one another, working out all of the relational issues, all the messiness. Listen, relationships, can I just break the ice here? They're messy. You want to know why? Because you're messy and I'm messy and our hearts are splintered and fractured with sin. But the grace of God is coming in and he's constantly reconfiguring and reshaping us. And that work in progress is meant to be done together. But some of you argue, some of you go, Kyle, like I don't. I don't necessarily need the church as you're describing it, like what, what maybe the gathering here or things like that, because I have, I have solid Christian friends. To that, I'm like, yes and amen. Like, that is awesome, and you should. And you say, so, well, like, you know, that's, that's kind of where I get this, this koinonia, right? Well, here's what's interesting about our friends in most oftentimes communities or groups like that. Who chose them? Yeah, yeah, and it's okay. Like, you chose them. You're like, you know, hey, we're at the same life stage, or hey, we got some similarities. Hey, like, let's, let's get together, let's hang out. Awesome, cool. It's just not the church. See, the beauty of the church is that you look around here, and you didn't choose who joined the fellowship here, right? You didn't choose who was part of this faith family. Guess who did? The head of the church. Jesus in his sovereignty, God in his sovereign plan, placed people here in all kinds of different demographics, in all different places socioeconomically to be a beautiful body, a demonstration. And so listen, have Christian friends, have those relationships, but don't do it to the neglect of a body, of a diverse body like this. That's why I love sports camps. And I mentioned it in the video. You look out and you've got teenagers and you've got our senior adults just serving and loving and caring for one another shoulder to shoulder, right? It was beautiful. That's what the body is meant to be. It's meant to be a beautifully diverse body, not homogenous, right? And that's something we want to strive for. That's, uh, that's, we need to grow in that church. We need to grow in that. And as we grow in that, so will the beauty of this. And what's interesting, and I'll say this, and this is where I'll probably offend some of you and lose some of you, and that's okay. The relationships, oftentimes that you siphon off and kind of silo, you go, well, I've just got my Christian friends over here. I would venture to say most of you met those relationships in the church. In the church. And that's ironic. That you'd take from the church, you'd be a consumer, consume from the church relationships, but not be willing to pour back into it. Okay, I'm done. I'm done with that. All right, we'll have a few more seats for next week. Um, so there's a shared desire, a shared hunger. There was also a shared attitude in Acts 2 that I love. And you can't manufacture this. Like this fog, lights, you know, a charismatic speaker doesn't manufacture the attitude that was taking place in the heart of people in Acts chapter 2. It was the Spirit of God moving. And it says that they were just in awe. Like, are, are, are we a community of people in awe of who God is because we actually are before him all the time? We're actually in his presence and he's captured us. And that awe, listen, that awe led to a response, didn't it? Where they go, listen, we have everything in common now. That awe of who God is caused them not to kind of put their hands, clenched fists around their stuff. But what did it cause it to do? The awe caused them to open everything. And you go, what's mine is yours. Like We're in family together. What's yours is mine. We share in this. We have all things that says um, in common. Even our burdens we share. Not just our tangible stuff, but our successes and our struggles. Our sicknesses we don't carry alone, 
right? I think about the Rhodes family right now. So many of you are caring for them as their 10-year-old daughter walks through her treatments. They're not alone, right? Why? Christ is with them? Yeah, but the community as well. The community of Christ is around them. That is a beautiful body. It's a functioning body in the way God had planned it. There's, there, there, there's an attitude of, of generosity and unity and joy and encouragement towards Jesus and toward others. It's evidence that God is working in a faith family. So we see those flashes and we can celebrate because God is moving among us. Listen, we are in a culture that is absent of unity, joy, and encouragement. The church must be full of those things, right? We must be the most hope-filled people. Why? Because we know the end of the story. We know the story, right? We just sang a song that Sam wrote about him holding the pen and pinning the page. He's the one writing it, and we know the authors, and we know the end of his story, right? That he comes and he makes all things that are broken and wrong right. We know. And so we can walk in joy and encouragement and unity and generosity toward one another. And then there is an effect. And that effect is in Acts 2, we see it. It says that they found favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers daily those who were being saved. That's verse 47. I don't know about you, but I long to be part of a community that are seeing more and more people come to the salvation of Jesus Christ. Where there's more people confessing Christ for the first time. Where there's more people putting their trust in him. Because what's been laid before him, by, a, by the, what's laid before them as non-believers is a better way of life a flourishing way of life, a life that, 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 that purpose is found and satisfaction is found, not the one that the world's offering that has let them down time and time again, but the way, the true way, Jesus is before them. And they go, I want to follow that. But my, my, my fear is what the church puts before people, a watching world, is just a shallow version of what they already see in the world. May we be a real beautiful body putting before people who don't know Christ a real vision for life what real flourishing looks like, what real reconciliation looks like, what real unity and joy and hope looks like. That's the effect of a beautiful community. And then Ephesians 2, this is where I want to land. The second beautiful picture. What's their motivation? What was the motivation in Acts 2? What's our motivation today? Is it church growth? Is it fame? No. Here's the motivation. Verse 13, Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, listen to how beautiful this is. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the laws of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both 
access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God, the church. And here's the church, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Last one. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. That is where this idea of woven comes in. Time and time again in Ephesians 2 and throughout the pages of scripture, there is this idea of being built together. The church is a people, a diverse people who are built together for the glory of God. And it's not just, just, just kind of going, okay, you're built together here, here you're, you're a diverse body, but no, it is a diverse body that represents and looks like Jesus. It looks like Ephesians 2. What does Ephesians 2 paint a picture of Jesus like? You want to know what it paints? Here it is. In Jesus, which is now through us, peace replaces hostility. Over and over in Ephesians 2 that I just read, the word peace and peace and peace comes up. True peace that the peace of Christ would dwell richly among us. Countercultural? I think so. Counter oftentimes our hearts that are anxious and fearful. Listen, Christ comes to bring peace. Second thing, Christ brings nearness that replaces separation. You see, what sin does is it doesn't just create primarily a behavior issue. What sin did is it created a distance issue. We couldn't draw near to God. It was impossible. Why? Because he's holy and you're not holy because of sin. And so what Christ does is he comes and he tears down that dividing wall. And he says, listen, this is not based upon anything that you do, but solely based upon what I've done, Christ says, I'm going to bring you near to the father. And so that distance is no more. That separation is no more. The church is meant to be a people that draw near to Christ and hear me, draw near to one another. There must be a nearness. There must be a shoulder to shoulderness. And listen, I, I love technology and I love what we've been able to do in streaming and all those things and how that provides a ministry for a certain few, but it cannot replace the nearness we must have with one another. The singing together, the lifting our voices, the encouraging, the looking eye to eye, the hardships that we carry, the successes that we carry, we must carry in the flesh and blood, the nearness and not separation. In Jesus, unity replaces division. Do I even need to expound on that? That the church should be the most unified place on the planet because of what Christ has done. That in him, we agree that we all come with the same standing and same state as sinners in need of grace. And there's this unity. And listen, that doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we all look alike. It doesn't mean we all in the peripheral things that we all agree. But there is a unity that we have in Christ, that we are brothers and sisters committed to the glory of God together. A unity. And Jesus brings a welcome and replaces rejection. Another word for welcome here would be hospitality. That in a beautiful church, in a growing church of, of beauty, there is this welcome. Just like there was with Christ, right? We follow the way of Jesus where he welcomed sinners by his side, where he went into those spaces and those places sitting with them where the religious leaders would grumble and say, oh, he must be a drunkard. Oh, he's a sinner. Because that's what religious people do. They grumble. But what a church captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ does is it welcomes people. 
It welcomes those who are far off. It welcomes those who are skeptical. It welcomes those who are struggling. It welcomes those who are like all of us struggling in this tension of life and welcomes them in. Because here in this place and in this space with our lives connected and unified, they will find, we will find the throne of grace. And that's the last one. Grace replaces religion. In a beautiful body, in a church that's growing in beauty. Let me tell you what begins to go to the wayside. Religiosity. The do's, the don'ts, the performance-based things. And what it's replaced by is an understanding of the grace that we have been saved by. That it's no... You and I have not been collected together because we've redeemed ourselves. It's not because we've given a certain amount of money. It's not because we've done a certain amount of good deeds or works. It's because we have been saved by the radical grace of Jesus Christ. And that grace, hear me, because some of you are going, oh, this church is all about grace. You're right, we're all about grace. But here's the incredible thing about the grace of Jesus Christ, that it thus calls us to put on flesh to that grace. It puts action and activity to our feet, something that D.A. Carson calls grace-driven effort ensues, right? Where we are a body pursuing one another and others for the glory of God. That's a beautiful church. And that's a church I pray that we're fighting for and we're pursuing to be. And as we do that, God is faithful to show up. God is faithful to show up. God's faithful to show up in profound ways as he already has in our community by saving people, baptizing them, calling them to radical things internationally and locally, calling you to radical things in your neighborhood, calling us to sacrifice and love and serve one another in absolutely, to the world standard, ludicrous ways. Why? Because we've been captured by something bigger. We've been captured by a vision far outside of any church vision we could ever cast. We've been captured by the grace and mercy and the vision that the word of God gives for the church. And so listen, I'm excited about this journey together through the scriptures because I want our church to grow in beauty. I want the Parks Church to be that light on a hill, that shining light on a hill, a beautiful body representing Christ to a watching world and to one another. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it, it clarifies those areas in our hearts that so often time we, we find ourselves deviating from its truth. And so, Lord, I pray even this week that we might lay our lives on your altar again, and that you might, by the power of your spirit, examine and shape and mold us, that you might go to the deep recesses of our heart. God, that you would, you would beautify this body, your body. This is your church, oh, Lord bought with a price, full of your Holy Spirit. Now I pray that we might fix our eyes upon Christ, truly the perfecter and author of our faith. So Lord, you're writing a better story for the Parks Church. God, show us how we, God, we can collectively commit to your cause and to one another for your glory. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you how you're working and moving in her even this past week, even this weekend. Lord, continue to do so. Amplify it for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen and amen.